0: This is Joe Scovern, and you're listening to Chasing Birdies.
1: All right, y'all, we are Chasing Turkeys. Mm -hmm. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Welcome back here to another episode of Chasing Birdies,
2: my man JP. Yes, yes, happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. Hopefully, you are smelling the turkey's ass right now. Well, you know what I mean. uh but yeah, we appreciate all of you for tuning in and uh, we are thankful for all of our listeners and non-listeners. We're thankful for yeah, people man. who don't listen to us. Um, Thanksgiving is a holiday
1: unlike any other. Mm-hmm. You just don't feel any guilt for stuffing yourself, eating stuffing, eating dessert, watching football, laying on the couch, being merry, acting like everything's great. It is a great day. I may Overall. even
2: make breakfast, bud, and, and, and cheat on my... Don't eat till noon. Yeah, let the kids eat anything they
1: want. It's a good day. Mm -hmm. Um, However, you know, here in the Northeast for us, Thanksgiving generally comes at a time in the golf season when we're not golfing. So now we start to unwind a little bit, but slowly but surely get the itch again. But we're full swing into right now winter hibernation, my
2: bud. What do you think? I mean, but I I I just told you the other day that I don't really miss golf. But it's partly because of the weather. So, because I think mentally I'm like, well, you can't even play if you miss, so it doesn't right. even matter. But I am excited because I'm I'm heading over. I'm in Scottsdale for a, a work trip, and and a buddy of mine lined me up at Ping Golf to get fit fitted for the new irons and um, the I two thirty. So I can't wait for that in December, first week of December. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and good for you, man. Hopefully, you know, drink a couple cold beers to drown my sorrows of. <laughs> missing golf. So uh, today's episode is brought to you by Lynx Brewing. Uh, so go check them out at lynxbrewing.com. Again, Chasing Birdies Blondale. I just had to deliver a case to a friend the other day. Um, people are buying it, man. Let's get it for the holidays. It's a great beer to drink during during the holidays and, and having fun with your friends. Yeah. So I had some people over the house the other night after dinner and the
1: guy's like, what's this green can, you know? And I'm all, it's Chasing Birdies Blondale. And he's like, let me try that. I like Blondales. I didn't have enough in the fridge. I mean, I had That's five cans and five were gone. So We got a pretty big fridge um, now. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt, buddy. You know, today's guest, though, JP, I mean, this has been a guy that he and I have been going back and forth on Instagram trying to nail down a time. We've been doing this now for almost two, two or three months. And mm-hmm. really, really nice guy, genuine guy. And you can just tell that, you know, he wants to do well. He's already done well in his career, but now he is onto the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm talking about Joe Scovron. Many of you may have seen him with Ricky Fowler on tour for 13 years. Scovy, Scovy, whatever you want to call him. Um, we go through that. Yeah, we went through it. <laughs> but we got him here on Chase and Birdies for the caddy perspective, man.
2: Um, First yeah, caddy perspective. I love it. And there's no one better than, than him to have on this podcast. Um, no one else. Great dude. I mean, great, dude. I, I feel like he's a guy you throw a couple back, you you enjoy yourself, yuck it up with the boys a little bit. And uh, I even offered him to come caddy for the boys at the at a member guest <laughs> in 2023. I told him, listen, you can drink transfusions, you drive the cart around, you enjoy yourself, clean our clubs every once in a while, uh, and give us good yardages.
1: Yeah. No.
2: And And we could use that. We could use that.
1: But, uh, guys, thank you for tuning in today on Chasing Birdies. And uh, I think it's time we just roll this right into Joe Scoburn. As you all know by now, Chasing Birdies is proud to be partners with Holderness and Born. Check them out online at hbgolf.com. Holderness and Born makes fabulous pieces that help you look good on the course, even if your game is not up to par. Check out their new arrivals now for this golf season. Also, head on over to ChasingBirdies.com to get some custom Chasing Birdie gear from Holderness and Born. We'll continue to drop these pieces through every season. That's ChasingBirdies.com and Holderness and Born at HBGolf.com. All right, guys, we're back here for another episode of Chasin' Birdies. And we've had some PGA Tour players on in the past, some other golfers, all golf nuts, but we've never had a caddy perspective, per se. But today's guest will change that. We have Joe Skover in here on Chasin' Birdies, and we are stoked about this one, my man. How you doing, Joe?
0: Great. Thanks for having me.
1: Scovey, right? We just should call you Scovey.
0: Yeah. A lot of people call me that. Yeah, Scavi, Scovy. Everybody kind of says it different. I just go with it however it is.
1: So is it Scavrin or Scovrin?
0: It depends who you ask. If you ask my parents, they, they say Scavrin. I say Scavrin, so I don't know.
1: Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I'm not too picky. That's like Peppy, I like When you say scovrine, I
2: mean, same thing. wrong.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. No, man. Well, look, we're so glad to have you on here. Uh, get to talk a little bit about golf and kind of what you've been doing over the years. You had a hell of a caddy career you're still having a hell of a crack caddy career so i know walking through just a little bit in the beginning of your lifespan i know you're from from southern california
0: yeah yeah just outside the san diego area marietta california yep
1: okay so kind of got into golf early um you know can you elaborate a little bit on that how how that whole thing started with you and golf a little bit i know your dad lou was a pga tour or a pga professional at least teaching pro
0: yeah you guys have done your homework yeah my I grew up in a golf family my dad sports nuts but golf was the main thing and uh my dad's been a pga pro you know since he got out of college and um still teaches to this day at 76 uh ran golf courses when i was growing up so and then my mom actually ran our local junior golf association for 20 plus years uh they just moved to scottsdale just uh just moved on from that. So, you know, we had players like Ricky Fowler, Brendan Steele, John Malinger come up in that program. Um, and it was just a local program. So it was very cool. And, uh, yeah, golf was kind of a natural thing. Those are
2: a few names right there. I I would say a little little bit of money has been made on that, on those three, just (laughs) so, I mean, you you played college golf. You obviously, like Ryan said, you've you grew up in golf and you played college golf. Did you try the, the mini tour circuit a little bit? Cause that's what a lot of people don't understand. Everybody coming out of college thinks that, Oh, I'm going to go try it. Well, there's a million of you out there, right? Speaking yeah. in general, yeah. like from, from here to Webb Simpson is a large gap. So yeah, is that something that you did try?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I kind of had my mindset on that for a long time and, I was a really good junior player, like young, and then kind of hit a roadblock. High school, played football and basketball in high school and, you know, wasn't highly recruited. Went to UC Santa Barbara for a year and then ended up at a Division three school after that and uh, had a pretty good Division three career, but that's a totally different level mm-hmm. of golf, right? So went out and tried it, um, played for three, maybe four years. It was kind of like two years that were full where I got some sponsorship mm-hmm. and went and played and did it, went to school twice. Missed first stage by one one year. The other year, played awful, and uh, I just wasn't good enough. And I finally realized it. You know, I won one mini tour event. I was around the cuts all the time, but it's how I got into caddying. So it right, uh, Joe. That's great. the
2: thing too. A lot of people don't understand is like when, you know, we we talk to a lot of people that play golf. When does a, a player get to a point where, like, all right, man, I I can't do it because you have you see some people yeah. that are lifers trying this mini tour shit, yeah.
0: So I think some guys, you know, I know a lot of lifers out there and some of those guys, they're good enough on a day-to-day basis when you watch their games, but sometimes their games don't translate at Q school or it doesn't translate when they start traveling across the country and those kind of things when they get out of their comfort zone. Or maybe it's just the Q Q school Mm -hmm. block, right? Some guys just have a Q school block and, you you know, unless you Monday into a bunch of events, you got to make it through Mm -hmm. Q school at some point to get your status. Uh, But for me, you know, missing Q school twice – missing some cuts, missing a lot of cuts. Um, you know, money becomes a problem, all those things. So for me, it was just, I just knew, um, I knew that was it for me and I just wasn't good enough and I wasn't progressing at the level I needed to. Yeah. I
2: mean, that's the thing that's, that's so crazy too, is that, you know, I think for most golfers, you've been a golfer your whole life and it's like, well, then what the hell am I going to do? Right. So, I I mean, so were you kind of, at that point where you were going to, all right, I'm done with golf was caddying kind of in your, in your future already, or was it you quit golf and, and, and you just kind of had a job and, and went from there. So
0: yeah, caddying wasn't on my radar. Um, I caddied when I missed a couple cuts for Brendan, I roomed with Brendan Steele um, on the mini tour. So like a couple of times when he was in contention, he's like, Hey, why don't you come out with me, um, and do it that way. And then, But that was about it at that point. I was trying to start up a golf clothing company. I had started doing that kind of midway through playing mini tours and kind of, you know, having a plan B. And then I had majored in movement sports science and was planning on coaching college golf or going back and teaching high school and coaching football and golf. And that was kind of my plan for my life. And then that all kind of changed. I caddied some web. It was a nationwide tour at that time. Um, now the corn Ferry for Brendan, I did probably 12 to 15 events over two years. And I did like eight LPGA events for a friend of mine, did a couple majors just filling in for, her, and that's where the Ricky thing came up.
2: So again, you, you weren't that's very experienced at caddying, uh, you know, you caddied for a couple of tournaments for Brendan. Steel, who's your buddy and, and things go, you know, if things happen, you guys can pat each other on the back and kind of, Hey, next week we'll get it. How does somebody that doesn't have a lot of caddy experience fall into one of the world's greatest golfers in Ricky Fowler?
0: Yeah, wild how it happened. I mean, Ricky grew up in the same town, as I mentioned, eight years younger than me. So I'd known him, you know, his whole golfing life since he was four and a half or five. Um, Had played a lot of golf with him, been around him a lot. And he had tried other guys when he'd gotten starts. And it was a lot of older guys and, you know, there's not that rapport and there's not that kind of, you know, in the downtime in between shots, being able to talk and get along and have that comfort level. And he just said, hey, do you want to come out and caddy the, uh, the event at Ohio State, which all the All-Americans got in? He was still an amateur. And that was the summer of 2009. And I went out there with him and uh, we bogeyed the last hole to go to a playoff with Derek Lamley and we lost in the playoff. And he said, do you want to come out in the fall? And I had taken on a college coaching job at that point. Um, and I was coaching at my alma mater and we'd had a good season. We finished second at nationals that year. And, um, I said, yeah, I'll come out and we've been out there ever since. So, uh, that doesn't fully answer your question. That's how it happened. But as far as the experience part, you know, playing golf as long as I have and being around the game and being kind of a coaching mindset helped me a lot with that. And then it was go out there, learn how it's done out there, ask the right guys, learn the golf courses and then, but the personality part was kind of a natural fit for me. It kind of, you know what a guy mm-hmm. wants to hear in competition, you know, you know, about lies and things like that, that other people that haven't played at that level wouldn't understand. So I kind of had a leg up. Yeah. On that.
1: And you kind of had a little bit of a, already a, a relationship with him, just given the fact that he yeah. had played all that junior tournaments with your mom's organization and whatnot. So, you know, it's kind of like peanut butter and jelly to a degree. Uh, it's a terrible analogy, but that's all I can think of right now. Hungry for one, bud. Uh, yeah, a little bit, but a little bit. Um, and 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 we'll get into some of that talk a little bit. But you know, right then and there, in two thousand nine, I guess in the fall is when you when you went full time with Ricky. At that point in your life as a caddy, you obviously probably still weren't. I don't know, maybe acclimated, maybe that's not the right word, or maybe it is, but I'm sure you still had to try to now sharpen your tools a little bit, because now you have a superstar who's trying to make it on tour. You're full-time carrying his bag, so now you have to elevate your game a little bit to kind of be a a great advisor to him. So was there a little bit of a growing pain for you from a caddy perspective at that point uh, when you knew now this was full-time?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest diff, the two biggest differences, is it's a job now, you know. Whereas it was fun with Brendan, um, Charlotte, it was like kind of halfway in between, you know. She wanted me to do it as a job. It was she was playing on the LPGA tour, but we were friends, and it was a fill-in role. And you know, you knew you were only going out there for a couple weeks at a time. Now it's your full-time job, right? And there's other people wanting that job when it's Ricky Fowler, so. The good thing for us is we had success quick. Um, But the other difference would be that, you know, there wasn't as much walking the courses with them, right? Because there wasn't the same expectation. It was more like, hey, keep me calm. You know how to get numbers. You know how to do all that stuff. You know, that kind of a thing. And then now you're learning PGA Tour courses. You got to try to catch up because he doesn't know the pin placements. I don't know the pin placements. We haven't been to the golf courses. So, you know, there was a lot more work on Mondays. Mondays were, you know, That was quite a few hours on the golf course. And I'm a prepper, so it didn't bother me at all. Um, But there was definitely – you're trying to learn fast. There's a learning curve out there of what you're trying to get to. And we had both of us trying to catch up at that time from a prep standpoint.
2: You think about it. At that time when Ricky came out, dude, and this is a large comparison, but at that time, that's kind of when Tiger was still Tiger, but Ricky was almost the guy to – that that was creating that buzz i mean to to this day ricky fowler still creates a buzz even when he was not playing well for the you know a year or two people still want ricky fowler and that's like you said everybody wants your job um and and that's the thing now it's a position that he's paying you weekly or monthly or however you guys get paid um and you have to take it seriously and and like you said show up on mondays and 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 kind of work it all out and yeah it makes it a lot easier for us amateurs. I mean, we just get up to
1: the the ball, we shoot the the pin and we're like, all right, we got one sixty five here. Well, we got a
2: little win. You know, do we I jump mean, an eight yeah. soft five. seven? What do we do? We might need I to mean, bring Scoby to a yeah. couple member guests. <laughs> I mean, he can drive the cart, he can drink transfusions or confusions as the as Cool Taylor told us, and and we would be dialed. Yeah. I'm willing be, to gamble. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That sounds like a pretty, pretty fun day. Yeah, <laughs> no, we... Um, as you guys are saying too, your point on Ricky, that was another thing. Like I jumped into a, a superstar, you know what I mean? So like there was off the course stuff that went with it and managing, you know, he's trying to learn to manage autographs and people pulling at him and the interviews and you're trying to practice and people want a piece of you and this and that. So there was a lot there to learn as well that went along with it because he was the number one M in the world. He had quick success. Everybody kind of put the expectations on him quickly. So it wasn't just jumping into like, hey, I'm going to caddy for this guy that no Mm -hmm. one really talks about and try to make a living. It was like jump right into the fire. Right.
2: Well, and it's interesting too. like what people don't understand is, you know, we have a lot of friends in the hockey world and everybody thinks that they get free tickets like everything's free. Right. And no, they get two tickets a game and the amount of text messages that you probably got. And that's the thing that you and Ricky early on probably had to learn how to say no. Uh, How many people were requesting for tickets? How many people hit you up for an autograph? Hey, can you get Ricky to sign my kids orange Puma hat? Uh, This, that and the other. And you had to be able to say no, both of you, um, because in reality, that's your job.
0: Yeah. And that's, and I'll be honest for both of us knows hard. Right. So like that had to be a learned skill. We're more of the guys like, yeah, like try to accommodate right. people, do that the whole thing. And you have to learn when to say no, when not to, where that balance is. And you know, some people just don't see it. Right. Like he could sign for 25 minutes and there's somebody that's not happy with him because he didn't right. sign, you know, and you're like, well, how long do you want me to stay here? Like kind of a thing. And and he was always great about that stuff, but there still was somebody always unhappy, right? So you definitely learn that, that skill. And then from the other side, like you said, the signing stuff, man, like people just thought, oh, you could just get stuff signed at any time. And it's like, well, I'm not even allowed in the locker room. So like I might see him, but I got to carry it around in my bag, figure it out when I'm going to see him this week away from the course. Cause you're not always seeing right. each other away from the course and you're trying to get stuff signed. And then he's at, asked for stuff all the time. And now I'm asking him and like, so you had to pick and choose your spots and that's there something too.
2: interesting too that I think, I don't think a lot of people understand is that it is a work relationship, you and Ricky. Like you guys aren't rooming together everywhere you go. It's pretty much when the round's over, if he wants to hit some more balls, you'll be there for him. But when it's over, the day's over and you leave that course, you're gone. You know, you're not with one another because in reality, it's like a husband wife. You're going to get sick of each other yeah. eventually. And then, what do you talk about the next day in the sport? You know, if you're watching every sports event together, you have nothing to talk about on the course to get his head off of the game of golf. It's like me and you, bud. absolutely.
0: That's a great point. That's a great point. And like, that was some of the advice I got early from some of the older guys was, Hey man, like be conscious of how much you're rooming together. All those things, no matter how long you're along you're going to spend so much time together. And like you said, when we've stayed in houses together, sometimes we don't have a lot to talk about because we know exactly what we both did. and, you, you just run out of things to talk about.
1: That's what I was going to ask you about, like, other caddies, you know, when you were kind of just coming on and in that spotlight, like you said, it wasn't just you're being a caddy now on tour. You're a caddy for one of the top-ranked amateur in the world, essentially, That that's now on tour. Did you try to get some advice from, you know, some other caddies that have been on tour for a while?
0: Yeah, absolutely. When I was walking courses or when I was in the caddy area, I'd ask guys, you know, fluff, uh, Pete Bender was still out there at that time. So I'd ask them some questions, but definitely the guy that was the most helpful for me and still is is Bones. And we've developed a, you know, really tight friendship and do golf trips together here and there. We're members at the same club, we share a locker. So he's kind of been my guy the whole time. And what a guy to look to at that point, you know, because he knew what all of it was about. He knew about being there for winning tournaments, being there for winning majors, being there for the struggle to win majors and all the pressure being on phil and the popularity part of phil it was like the perfect guy to get advice, advice from for me
2: yeah it's it's crazy so so you start you get comfortable with one another and um it was the wells fargo and charlotte you're in a playoff with i mean and again another stud in rory mcelroy mm-hmm. Take people through what a playoff is like, because it is—it's different now. It's just one on one, right? It's—it's it's not you're not playing the course necessarily. Now you are playing the the other person. Uh, it's a match play type scenario because if you make a higher score, you're done. What's it like? You know, is is Ricky nervous on, on the tee box? Are you talking about sports to get his mind off of the tee shot that he has to hit there at the Wells Fargo?
0: Yeah, so the one thing people always forget about that playoff is DA Points was there, too. So it was a three-way playoff.
2: There you go.
0: And that's that's always a forgotten fact. But uh, because everybody was just concerned with Rory and Ricky, they were like the guys at the time, right? And everybody was waiting for Ricky to win one. The one thing I remember about that week, we had a saying the whole week. And I had read a quote from Michael Jordan that greatness fears no consequence. And so that was kind of like my thing all week with him, like greatness fears no consequence and which is a great way to play golf. It's hard to do, but it's a great way to think about things for golf mm-hmm. or any sport. And, um, and I remember Rory was bombing it that week and that tee shot, you go back on 18 at Coil Hollow, like that tee shot's not fun. Right. So everybody's a little nervy, the whole thing. And, you know, we're trying to get our first one, um, but you're excited too, because you it's got an opportunity. A chance, Right. And then, you know, so that's, you know, this was the best chance we had had at this point. And, um, I remember Ricky piped one and I'm pretty sure Rory hit three wood and he hit it by us. And to give you an example of how far these balls were up there and how much different it is in may we hit, we were in between pitching wedge and gap wedge. Rory was in front of us to the front left pin this year, guys in the president's cup to that same front left pin are hitting, you know, somewhere between seven iron and nine iron. Most of them, I'm sure there was a few guys that got wedges in that I wasn't, there for that match but I mean these balls were way down there and we actually we were in between clubs and this you know the smart shot if you were playing 72 holes doing the whole thing would be wedge past it because we had to we had to get gap wedge Um, but the ball was going and I remember we had the conversation and I and I said it's 52 all day and he just hit this thing right at the stick and he had to get all of it and I was nervous when that ball was in the air because (laughs) it lands a yard short. It's coming back in the water. It's all over. Well, and and if he miss hits it
2: slightly, or if he hits it too good, that thing sucks back with a gap wedge. When you're hitting something harder, it's going to spin harder. So, I mean, but the adrenaline thing's a real thing, right?
0: It is. And, and it was the shot that was going to win the golf tournament and he pulled it off. That wedge shot. And then that putt isn't easy either. Like that, it's away from you fast. And, um, yeah, it was just, I remember like, we were so excited, but there was relief as well, right? Like because everybody kind of like you know having why haven't you guys won yet? What's going on here? And so that was that was a big moment for both of us. And really does cool he memory. pull you
2: in on that putt, or was he a guy that kind of he read his greens himself?
0: Yeah, I, I don't remember if he did. I don't think he did there. Um, Rick's a really good green reader. Rick's obviously, he was an elite putter for so long, right? You know, led the tour in putting one year and everything else. And he's been a great putter his whole life. But there were weeks that I would get pulled in a lot. And then there's weeks that, I mean, I remember in Maui, Maui one year, he asked me on the 72nd hole and it was the first read he asked for wow. in wow. the 72nd. <laughs> you know, so um And we weren't you going know, to win. It was like for sixth or something, right? But, but he, he just sees it. There.
2: He just rolls with it.
0: Yeah. And then if he's not seeing it, He'll ask me, and then some weeks, you know, when I was seeing it, he'd kind of roll with me longer and just say, Hey, just let's just go. Tell me where to hit it. Let's go. Fuck, I'd keep um, you busy. So it was, it just kind of depend. It depended, but most of the time he was going to lean towards reading them more himself.
1: So, kind of progressing with your career on tour through the years, 2012, you get that's your first win on the bag, right? Absolutely.
0: Well, First PGA Tour win on the bag. Yeah, we won in Korea, um, beat Rory in Korea, and that was our first professional So, so you're in camp,
1: Rory like, right, right now. So, yeah, yeah your, you're 2-0. Your yeah. <laughs> so you get uh, 2014. Um, now we're kind of progressing a little bit. You have a, a good run in the majors. I think Ricky finished top five in all five majors that year. Uh, T5 at Augusta, 3 at the PGA, T2 at the Open, two at the U.S. Open as well, maybe? Uh, yes. So, after that whole run, even though you didn't win, did it feel like a win? I mean, obviously, you want to win, but the fact that you finished top five on the bag, in the majors, what was the vibe like during that season?
0: Yeah, it was a cool accomplishment. Did it feel like a win? No. Like, it felt like we were going to get yeah. one, though. And then the team, you went and had a great year and won a bunch um, around the world, but yeah, it didn't feel like that because like the ball one felt like, man, we really could have gotten that one, and that one kind of stung. Um, Rory just took it away from us at Hoy Lake. I mean, Ricky played great and Rory just played awesome. Um, and then we too.
1: Let me ask you something real quick, not to interrupt you, but when McElroy hits the ball, does it sound like anything you ever heard before? No. That's what I thought.
0: I mean, when he's driving it good, there's nothing like it. I mean, I remember when Brooks was going, that sound was different as well. You'd hear it on the range and you could hear the sound. But Rory, when Rory's driving it, the game just looks so easy. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's frozen like, rope. You no. Know, yeah. I mean, we played a lot with him. And that 14 year, man, he was, he was tough. He got us in the Ryder Cup singles too. I mean, he was just,
2: he was yeah. tough. I can't even imagine caddy in a Ryder Cup. You, I mean, you're in the Ryder Cup, President's Cup. I mean, you, again, you've, you have to be pinch me a little bit here. I mean, this is really my first real bag I've had and look who I'm with. So you're doing the Ryder Cup, you're doing the President's Cup. What was the coolest experience to that point? Was the Ryder Cup pretty cool? I, I personally like the Ryder Cup a little bit more. The President's Cup's a little I think a little calmer. The Ryder Cup's nuts, but being inside the ropes, is it just wild?
0: Yeah, the Ryder Cup. There's nothing that touches how that feels, right? Like it feels more like a sporting event. That first tee, there's a little bit more. Not going to say animosity because we know a lot of those guys, and, and you're and you're cool with a lot of them and everything else. But there's a little bit more of that. Europe, USA, and especially with the USA struggling to win so much, you feel that whole thing a lot more in that event. But all the team events are really fun because you're part of a team and it's such a different um, style, such a different. Way of doing is that where
2: things. the big Is that where the big Dick Rick chant started, at the Ryder Cup?
0: Uh, that was at uh, Phoenix. Does he laugh yeah. at that
2: stuff? Like as a player, as a player, are you like this is hilarious?
0: Yeah, I mean that some of the stuff at Phoenix is just we just chuckle and laugh, and uh, it was a lot of fun. They love him in Phoenix in sixteen. They've we've heard quite a bit of stuff on 16 Good and bad. over the years. So <laughs> not so much bad for him to be honest. He's just like, a will like guy. And so there's not a lot of bad that you get there. He's, he's kind of the guy, he kind of became the guy after Phil and Phoenix that they mm-hmm. love him. You know,
1: I want to jump back quickly because in 2015, you win, Ricky wins the players, you on a bag. And that was one of the most, probably the most exhilarating playoffs I've ever watched in golf. I mean, it can't be duplicated. The fact that he goes back to 17, how many times, three times, four times, hits the same shot. We're. <laughs> What was your vibe like with that? I mean, are you telling him? Obviously, you don't have to club him anymore, right? Because it's the same shot. And maybe that's just what yeah. you're saying.
0: Yeah, I mean, we kept getting there. The wind kept switching a little bit. like The wind kept moving around a bit as because there was such a long gap in between when we finished waiting for the playoff, going and hitting balls on the back of the range, all those things. And by the time we got to 17, it was a slightly different wind. But it was still the same club, still the same target, and I just said, same club, same target. It just kept inching closer and closer to the pin as we went on, so you know the the last one started at it to just right of it, and you know we had a spot that was about fifteen feet left of it that we were picking, but that 's why you pick it so that if you hit that shot uh, you're, you're you in there tight. Being so good
2: dude I mean you and I get into a shootout and a and a member guest and it 's like we 're pissing down our leg. I mean the one Duck year hook. you shit yourself. No, I did not shit myself, bud. <laughs> I,
1: I, I had white shorts on, Joe. And I had a little bit of dirt on my shorts from mm-hmm. the cart. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's, like, yucking at me. And I'm like, bud, I did not, like, I mean, it's fine. But... um." That's what I'm I, I know. I know. <laughs> Terrible. He and I, Jonathan and I, though, we have, like, a blast. We, we you know, we, we play golf a lot, obviously. Um, So we get in these member guest tournaments, and you think we're at Augusta, like, this is it. Like, we got to come out swinging, and, and we haven't uh, – we we won one at one of my clubs up here in West Virginia, but we're pretty much not – uh well, it's our majors. We're, we're always in the first flight, and we give sh- – you know, we play off zeros, so we have to give everybody everything, and it's just tough, man.
0: Yeah, it is. Giving shots and those things are tough. That's kind of – those are my majors now as all the member members and member guests, so I know what you're talking about. I love them. I
1: think now, you're on. in Scottsdale now currently, correct? Yes, okay. I am. Yeah. So
2: you play Whisper Rock or – oh man the rock yeah Yeah, i freaking love it so todd martin's a buddy of mine and uh so he took me out there a couple years ago and it was it was awesome the guy is he's such a good guy and that whole vibe at whisper rock dude just drop me there and let me live there for the rest of my life well yeah wife and kids wouldn't like that, but it's the coolest
0: place i wouldn't give up my membership for anywhere just because of the guys the club or staff, it's
1: it's awesome, man. Is uh is Palco still out there?
0: Uh yeah, he is. Yeah, yep. Tyler,
1: we, we had him on a podcast. He's a Pittsburgh guy, so that's good guy. He's a
0: good player. He's a good yeah. Um,
1: okay, so major major seasons come around, you know, four times a year now. And I, does your does your from a caddy's perspective, does that change? Obviously, there's more pressure on the players because it's a major. Well, maybe nowadays, if you ask a live tour player that they want to answer that correctly but with respect to the pga tour it's a major a little more pressure is your job are you more involved in 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 a major than say a typical tour event or is it all the same for you
0: um i try to look at them the same but the biggest difference for a caddy is other than augusta is most of the time we haven't been there or we've been there once so the prep work is a lot different. Right. Um, you know, or even like on the open championship rotation, you're only there every few years. So um, so the prep is definitely a lot different um, rather than going to the venues, you know, kind of checking your notes, going, you know, a quick walk through. You're walking that golf course usually a couple times other than your player playing. So you're trying to get three or four looks at it. And you're trying to kind of figure out where pins are going to be, those kinds of things. And then over at the open, you're trying to figure out, okay, wind switches, what are we going to do here? Um, you know, how do we play this all? Because wind switches can completely change the strategy over there. And, you know, you might be seeing a certain wind in practice rounds and you don't get to see it um, in the tournament. And a good example of that was Ricky top 10. And this wasn't an open championship, but Kiwa with the wind switches, you know, we had gone over early when we missed a cut at Charlotte that year with Patrick Cantlay, and we had seen a wind that no one had seen in the practice rounds that we ended up getting on the weekend. So that was a that was a nice advantage prep wise that we had seen that wind because it's blowing so hard. It completely changes when you're when it's blowing in off the left on the hole rather than down off the right. That's a completely different. There's a different way to play the hole, different aim line, all those things. So. Um, that definitely becomes a factor a lot more at majors.
1: Different aim lines. So, you know, you're, you're picking small targets. I mean, elaborate on that a little bit, what you just said, because I'm still trying to think about that. Down off the left.
0: Okay, so like there's a whole, I, I can't remember which one it is on the back nine, 14, 15, somewhere in there at Kiowa. And there's a bunker that runs all the way up the left. So the cover gets longer the further you go left. And then, you know, you kind of run out on the right, and, and then as you go along, that run out gets longer and longer. So you're kind of aiming right center when it's down off the right and just letting it go. Right. Cause you're going to, you're going to get it. You're going to cover if you, if you pull it and hit it hard for a righty. And when it's in off the left, now we can't cover if we pull it and you're running out of room right faster. So you're trying to pick that line and all of a sudden tightens that hole. Whereas like for Phil, I believe it was Sunday that that happened. And Phil, you know, now all of those holes are an advantage for Phil coming in, right? Because a lefty, now you got that bank with the wind, you got the whole thing. So it was a good wind switch for Phil. Those were really tough tee shots for Phil the rest of the week. And it became a really tough tee shot for righties once we turned to come home.
1: Yeah, see, that's that level of thinking... Is what probably most amateur, you know, obviously amateurs that are playing well in college and doing the whole thing, they get that. But like the average guys, like like our buddies, like Tango. You think Tango's thinking about wind direction? No, <laughs> he's
2: he's just thinking about uh, stupid green books. Our buddy, he played in the NHL for for a little bit, and he brings he gets these green books. I'm like, bud, do you even know how to read these things? <laughs> Like, why are we, why, why do you have a, we're here for one day. You got a green book out. You know what you're reading? It's just a picture of a big green. It's not like, yeah. I'm like, why do we need this right now? Do you want a pin sheet yeah. too, buddy? and
0: to hard it, right, to actually using them correctly. Yeah, if you're just looking at the arrows, like, if you can't tell if it's going left or right, great. But, like, to actually interpret the data and read them, if you don't have a green reading system, they're not doing you a whole lot of good. Do you,
2: do you like the green books?
0: I loved them. I mean, they were a nice cheat sheet for us, and I had a system that I had learned um, from a guy named Mike Shy, and uh, used that a lot. And so it was a great cheat sheet for me, especially on greens that were tough to read. But I understand why they did what they did. Um, so, yeah, but the slow play you know, it's thing.
2: Probably, you know, Come on.
0: It's probably good for caddies that have been out there and everything else because it puts more value on us um, not having but to But to say that's a
2: slow play, I mean, that, that's like, eh. I mean, I, I get it. But at the same time, and then if you want to pick up play, let's get the range finders in all, all throughout the week. But then that takes away from well, you guys, and, right?
0: And to your point about slow play, I've never agreed with that because you have a certain amount of time to hit a shot. So if they enforce the rule, then it shouldn't be a problem. And I think green books, if you know how to use them right, speed it up because you're not looking at all sides on a putt that you know, you're trying to mm-hmm. find something in. The green books kind of give you a cheat sheet if you know where you're at and you know what you're doing. You're like, no, it's got a little right in it or no, it's got a little left in it. But I think that's what they were trying to eliminate was that cheat sheet part.
2: But I don't even, I barely even read the green. Like I'm more worried about my cigar if it's still lit. I mean. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, So when you guys, I
1: I always see every caddy player discussion. You're standing there, you got the book out, you're looking, you're talking, and then you're both writing something. It's like you're writing something Mm -hmm. in the book. Is that just for notes for the next day? So if if you're like, what are, what are you writing in the book?
0: So I've got all my notes that I take from like previous years that I transfer over to the new books and and that whole thing leaves with pins. What we you know what we're doing off the tee, all those kinds of things. Um, as far as writing before the shot, like I'm writing on my pin sheet just what the front number is, what the cover is what what the uh, pin number is and then maybe coming up with a landing number, but that's about it. And then after the shot, you might be recording that, hey, the wind was southwest on this par three. We had a seven-iron full, and we got 190 out of it, you know, so that for the next day, you know, because everywhere you go, it kind of flies a little bit different, right? Torrey Pines in January and Quail Hollow in May. The ball is going a completely different distance. So when people ask for guys' distances, I'm like, well, where at? So mm. – you're kind of taking notes on that and maybe a wind is a little bit of an odd wind. And it's like, you know, you know it's West Southwest and you're kind of trying to figure out if it's helping or if it's not, and it's going to help a draw or, if, you know, you fade it, it's going to hold into it. And so you're kind of making that note that if we get that wind again, Hey, this is how far it flew so that you can tell them the next day if we're in between, Hey, we got one ninety out of it yesterday. So you can get this today or, Hey, we've got to go to the six. We can't get enough
1: here. H- have you ever had it? a situation where you literally don't know what the fucking yardage is where you're like, dude, I just don't know. I can't figure it out.
0: I mean, the closest to that would be that Valhalla PGA. Uh, I believe it was the 16th hole. It's got like, (laughs) we hit it so far, right. We were in the other fairway and I ran up to the green, trying to get a number and like trying to pace back and go off of the heads that were on the other fairway. And, that's where a rangefinder would be nice, right? And uh, so you're like, you know, you're trying to like get the angles, get this number, get the whole thing. But no, you're always going to find something that's within a couple, um, right. you know. But when we're at 185 yards away, yeah, it could have been 183, it could have been 187 from over there, trying to get an exact number. But yeah, we're we're going to be pretty close. So no, I haven't ever gotten to that situation where we hit a shot, we don't know how far it is. No,
2: that's, so, good. W- when, that's good. When when you It's a great caddy, but again, we could use them. Um, Especially for those ones that you missed the fairways, right? Like, that would be incredible. Uh, Was there ever a point in your career with Ricky where it was kind of like, didn't get heated on the course, but did it ever get to that point to where you guys were having kind of firm discussions? Or I I just don't see Ricky being that kind of guy, so maybe you can elaborate on that.
0: Yeah, it's very rare, but no, it's just like, you know, when you see these guys make a big deal about sideline arguments mm-hmm. in the NFL and everything else, like, that's part of it, right? Like, we're all competitors. We're out there You're doing all our job. Way. There's high-pressure situations. You're not going to always say things right to each other, you know, and you might snap at each other every once in a while. Or he wants something different than what how I'm saying it, and I'm getting frustrated with him or whatever. So there's definitely been times where we were heated. He was always great, though about the next day acting like nothing had happened. So it never carried on with That's him. Awesome. and awesome. It was my job a lot easier. But there were a couple nights when I kind of challenged him on things or whatever and went home and going, man, we'll see how it is tomorrow. And he was great.
2: I might so. not have a job tomorrow, boys. So
1: obviously that, that ride ended a little bit, which, hey, n- no harm, no foul. That's the way life is with, with everything. And you find yourself kind of in a, a new chapter now, Joe. You got Tom Kim. Carrying the bag for now, and congr- congratulations because he won uh, the, yeah, the Shriners. So that was a good win. What a so-
2: place to win and celebrate!
0: Uh, <laughs> we didn't get to celebrate though. We flew straight to Japan that night on the charter, so there was no celebration, oh unfortunately.
2: Have some sake. <laughs> uh,
1: what What's the difference now? I mean, now you have experience, so this isn't like whenever you first came out and, and was caddying for Ricky. Now you're, you've caddied for years—thirteen years on the bag for him. Now you got a new young gun, so to speak, on um, you know that's that's playing. Uh, what's changed for you with Tom relative to Ricky?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things, right? Like Ricky and I, thirteen years—it was a lot more than a caddy-player relationship, right? Families, the whole thing. Um So for that, obviously the comfort level there and um, how much of a routine it was um, changes quite a bit, right? Because now you're learning the new guy. Uh, but there's some similarities in the fact that I'm working for a 20 year old. Ricky wasn't quite 21 yet. Um, you know, highly touted. The difference is Tom had already won when I got on the bag. And then the biggest difference is that I've been out there for so long mm-hmm. now. So picking my brain, asking me questions. Uh, puts a lot of value in it. He's great about that. And um, so I'm kind of like, you know, I'm double his age. So it's like, you know, I'm the old guy. He's the kid. And it's been a lot of fun, though. It's really, um, you know, it's just really, it's really been exciting, like seeing a guy that's 20 years old that uh, wants to be the best in the world and like kind of going through that whole thing over again. But with experience that i have now and knowing all the things and i've already been through all the things he's going to go through other than winning a major like but we've been as close get as it gets and we've done all the other stuff and been in all the situations so now i've been there done that um and i get to go hopefully go through it with him
2: yeah he's got he's got game when you and ricky parted ways um it was a mutual and it, it was pretty mutual um you guys are still friends and, and all that. And, and, and that's the thing that, you know, 13 years, you had a hell of a run, but you know, all things, good things come to an end, so to speak. Right. And uh, you got a fresh start now and he has a fresh start and, you know, he's starting to play well again and he, you won. So it's kind of like, you know, everybody, everybody wins on this deal. Um, and in reality, friendships are very important in life. Right. So um, yeah. Bigger than the game.
0: So for uh, yeah. To your point there, it was, I mean, that's as hard of a conversation as I've ever had in my life. Right. Like, and what, and I think same thing for him, you know? And so that conversation was really tough and um, it's not an easy balance um, how to handle it, what to go through, you know, what the reactions are, the emotions, all that stuff. Um, but we played the same tournaments as them on that three week stretch and, you know, ended up at dinners with Ricky and um, the guy on his back now is a good friend of ours from the same town. That's right in between us in age, Ricky Romano. And, you know, Tom's pulling for Ricky. He's a big Ricky fan. You know, Ricky's pulling for Tom. Like it's been good for everybody out of this, you know, Ricky is turning it around. And sometimes you just need something different to turn it around. And my voice, you know, 13 years of the same voice, sometimes you need to hear something different. And Ricky needed something yeah. different, to, you know, to turn this thing around because he's too good to be playing the way that we were for three years. And you've seen it already. I mean, he almost won in Japan. He finished sixth safe Safeway. So it's awesome to see. And that speaks
2: volumes of you guys too because, you know, a lot of people, uh, I don't want to talk about it type thing. And you can tell based on our conversation to this point, you still have a lot of respect for him and you're still pulling for him. So that's really cool to see. That, that you're still pulling for him.
0: I mean, the only reason I'm here is because he brought me out. It's, right. So, yeah. you know, he gave me the opportunity.
2: Yeah. Now, Kim, he's got this kid. What a stud, huh?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, um, it's exciting to like talk about his game and talk about him and he, the intangibles, um, that people, you know, I think he could see some of it at the president's cup and people could see how he handled the pressure with can going down the stretch it, Vegas but the intangibles off the course or not actually off the course but off away from tournament golf and the work ethic and his expectations and the willingness to how good of a practicer he is and how planned out he is and all those things for a 20 year old they're off the charts I just
2: yeah, want their he, short game for 24 hours that's all I want
0: <laughs> Is that like
2: do you like you being such a good golfer growing up is that something that you sit there and you're like Jesus God are these guys good?
0: Yeah, I mean, the shots they hit, I, when you try to describe how different it is to people, they can't really understand until you actually, like, even seen it in person, I think you kind of get, like, even caddy and you get kind of, like, numb to it because you see it so much. But then if you go play golf with them or you go play golf on your own after and you realize how hard those shots were or you see how far by you they hit it and just the things they can do, like... When, you know, we play a lot of golf with Max Homa here, and my buddies are just, like, they're in amazement and awe all the time because of the sound and what he does and how far bias he hits it and the shots he pulls off. And he just – it's just a totally different And
2: world. it's so funny watching Max Homa because he reminds me a little bit of, like, a goofball, right? He, he looks like a little bit of a goofball. Yeah. But it looks like Trocek, dude. To uh, Vince to a T. But, um, man, does he a freaking – like, how about him chipping in and – and he, uh, he, wow. uh, th- well, who was it? The three, will it three putts from 10 feet? He chips in three putts. What? I mean, dude, it's, it's again, the short game is where that's what people don't understand. There's a million people out there. And that's why I said in the beginning, you know, when do you get to a point on a mini tour and say, all right, I'm done because there is a million golfers out there that can hit with a lot of the PGA tour players from driver to seven iron. There's a million of them. Yeah. Yeah. But f- from eight iron and in and the putter, they're they're one of a kind yeah
0: yeah absolutely and the elite guys with those clubs you're talking about they're different right but there are guys out there that they're not much different than a really good mini tour player um but yeah there's you know managing their game belief in themselves shipping is such a massive thing on the pga tour and when you get to majors and you get firm greens and those kind of things the difference in shipping um is so is so immense with that um as far as like what we're used to, you know, when you play soft greens, mm-hmm. that are rolling nine right, compared to greens that are baked out and rolling thirteen. It's a totally different
1: thing. I um I was I went to the memorial this year on Saturday. Actually, I yelled your name. You're walking on a tee box. I said, "My man, what's up?" <laughs> but uh, but I was watching Cam Smith, and man, that hurt my heart when he left. But anyway, I'm watching him around the green. He got up and down on number. Seven. Back of seven from behind the green, short sided. Just hit this open. I text. I text Aaron Dill. I'm like, "Hey Dilly, what wedge was he using on this shot?" And then he got up and down on ten from left of the green. It's like this guy was like a machine. I mean, talk about a short game.
0: His so his caddy is one of my two best friends out here, Penner and Matty Kelly, who works for Mark Leishman. They were. You know, now they're gone. But those were the guys i roomed with every week for 13 years. And we knew each other since I was working for Brendan. And um, so those are my guys. And so, obviously, I'm a big Cam fan. And Cam's short game, I mean, one story to illustrate that, we were at Hilton Head, I think it was this year. It was this year or last year. And the 10th tee is right next to the chipping green. And he was about to go off. We were the next group after him. And I was over there chatting with Pinner and him. And he – hit a regular shot you know it's a 20 yard shot nips it whatever puts one hand on the club and hits a mid-height one bounce check spin back shot with one hand from 20 yards i've never seen anything like it i i was like what is going on here he is the stuff he can do around the greens i mean it's up there with phil when you talk about guys and what they can do it's incredible
2: well, i'll tell you another guy that's very underrated that You know, all his bullshit kind of gets in front of him. That has an incredible short game is John Daly. I mean, that guy's hands are all world. But again, yeah,
0: his hands touch. I mean, he's the talent in that guy. I mean, he's ripping a
2: cigarette, drinking a beer with his left hand. You know, chipping with one hand. It's like what? Yeah, and that's why people don't understand how good these guys. They can get up and down out of a garbage can. Seve Ballesteros back in the day, he didn't hit the ball that great. I mean, he was a good ball striker, but he missed a lot of greens by ten, fifteen yards, and he was getting up and down every single time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, fire, right. Like playing from other fairways, it's and shots around trees, up yep. there and getting it up and down, and yeah. I mean, Seve and Jose Maria, you know, legendary short games, right? And everybody talks about.
1: Well, Joe, man, it's been it's been an honor having you on here, Mary, hearing some of these stories, um, getting to pick your brain a little bit, man, and obviously I'm happy for you right now in this new chapter of your life but um we're gonna turn this bad boy over to the last section of the show called the tap-in segment presented by betonardi golf and jonathan's gonna ask you four or five questions that demand your
2: quick-witted response take it away all right biggest on-course accomplishment accomplishment as a pga tour caddy
0: Uh, winning the players
2: worst golf course to carry the bag at maui Oh man, that place sucks. Go yeah. up, a freaking mountain down. I mean, it's like a, you're like a goat.
0: You're glad to be there. You're really glad to be there, and it means the year was great. But coming off the off season and walking that place, luckily there's a couple shuttles.
2: <laughs> best caddy nickname on tour?
0: Got to go with fluff or Bones. One of the two, just because they're both legends and they're such good names.
2: All right, best shot you ever saw while you've been out there?
0: Man, I mean, coolest shot for me. I don't know if it's the best shot. It's probably not even the best shot I ever saw him hit, but the coolest shot was 16 at the players when Ricky hit the the high cut three wood and hit right next to the railroad ties or on the railroad ties or whatever it did and got there right next to the hole. That was, I mean, nerve wracking, cool, all of them at once and ended up being what won us the tournament. Still a hell of
2: a shot too. All right, last one. What are you chasing? A major. Let's go. I love it. You're on a bag that could potentially win a major in 2023. So I'm taking Tom across the
1: board next year on all the majors. I love it. I love it. Well, my man, thanks so much, Joe, for uh, catching us here on Chasing Birdies. And we look forward to maybe pegging it up sometime.
0: Sounds good. Thanks for having me, boys.
1: Man, that was cool as hell, man. I, I think for me, it was so funny when I asked him, I said, man, have you ever had a had a time where you're like I don't know the freaking yardage period mm-hmm. you know and then he he cites the Valhalla you know when Ricky blew it way right and he had to run all over God's creation to get a number but man these caddies work their tails off they work their
2: asses off and them. we have it easy with, with range finders but yeah that was pretty I mean, cool though that's it's a cool perspective and again Ricky for 13 years sounded like it was a it was a breakup that they both agreed on they both know that each other needed a change and that's fine you can tell they're still friends which i I give Matt props to and mm-hmm. now he's with tom kim which i mean he's already won once and um i like the cats of chances and majors next year to be honest with you um oh the yeah he's got game uh the wedges aaron dill's always talking about his wedge game so no it was, it was cool to hear hear all that stuff with him man so good
1: luck joe i know you're gonna do just fine man you got a great kid now on the bag and you got your experience and like I said, man, I'm taking Tom Kim across the board in all majors next all year. All majors, yeah. He's
2: chasing it. Yeah, he is chasing it. I do want to say thank you to Nemicolon, uh for sponsoring the show. They do an incredible job. Right now, again, go to Nemecolon.com, check them out, get the elf tuck in. It's it's a beautiful time up at Nemecolon with it decorated, uh, and we got some good news that. Nemecolin's back for 2023, bud. So, yeah, hey, buckle up, boys. You're going to hear some more about Nemecolin and, and uh, the five-star resort through and through. And, uh, again, check them out at com. Book your room. Tell them the boys sent you. And look for three events next year with Nemecolin and the Jason Birdie Boys. So that'll be yeah.
1: a lot of fun. Yeah, that'll be great, But I'm so glad you're a good planner. You just tell me where to be, buddy. It's like, hey, Pep, what time should I be here? Okay, perfect. I'll be right
2: there. I like to plan things out, bud, because if it wasn't for me, then nothing would get planned because you're snoozing. I'm excited about it, dude.
1: And you know what else I'm excited about briefly is our next potential guest here on Chasing Birdies. With it being a little colder, we're going back to the ice. And that's what I'll say about that.
2: Yeah. Big player coming on the podcast, captain of an NHL team, uh good conversation from another country can't I can't give too much information because then you guys start sniffing around and I want you on your seats a little bit um, okay, so we're looking yep. forward to giving you that one in December and then we'll probably do a little banter session to close out the year uh, because I know that all of you like to hear us bicker back and forth mm-hmm. um, also stay tuned for the 12 days of Christmas coming up we're going to be doing a lot of giveaways uh, merch with our partners, giveaways, uh, gift cards. There's going to be all kinds of stuff. Um, We're not even planning it. Our girl Jacqueline is planning it. She's doing an incredible job with Rachel. Uh, So, those will be coming out 12 days in a row. We'll be doing giveaways. Anything else, Bud, on this turkey day? Man,
1: no. And I I think right now it's time to just kind of settle in. Be grateful for what we have, everybody out there. And enjoy the day, man. And, And really try to Just be present in that moment. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's all I'm going to say. We're going to leave it at that, guys. We thank you for tuning in and uh, appreciate all the love. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Stay tuned for the next drop. And we want to thank Evo and his team over at Simpler Media for putting this thing together. And Rachel London, Jacqueline DiPaterio for all your social help. You girls are killing it. We couldn't do it without you. And that's all I got to say, but I need to go get some gravy, mashed potatoes, and a little bit of turkey. What about you, bud?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm gonna do the same thing. Hey man, I'm thankful for you doing this damn thing together. Uh, that's thankful right. for our friends, all our family. Um, you know, I'm, this has been a fun ride and, and we appreciate all of you. We appreciate and Bettinardi, her some Born, Lynx Brewing everyone out there is uh much appreciated and we can't wait for for the holidays with our family
1: yeah man that's it guys y'all enjoy the day have a good weekend and we'll catch y'all on the flip side
2: go chase that turkey around